through 7 is where we're going to be at. For a few moments here, Matthew chapter 7. Thanks, Mr. Bob, for that special. That was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Recently, Mr. Bob had a brother-in-law who found out that he had stage 4 lung cancer. Is that right? And it was only a few weeks ago that they found out about that, right? All right, so I'm going to tell you a little story. It's going to thrill your soul. So three or four weeks ago, he calls me. He's going on vacation, going up to um, Pennsylvania. And he calls me on the way up there, and he says, I just got a phone call. My, I just found out my brother-in-law has stage 4 lung cancer. And he said, would you, would you pray that he would trust Christ as Savior because I don't know if he was as, if he was said he was an atheist, but he didn't really believe in God or anything like that. And they had talks about that from time to time for many years. And had uh, Mr. Bob had no fruit for his labor. And so he called me and maybe a couple other folks, and we began to pray that God would open a door. And so he went up there and was able to lead his brother-in-law to Christ. And it just so happened, I, I don't really believe in coincidence too much, very rarely. Do you think, I, I don't think it was coincidence that the week that Bob Miller had scheduled, scheduled for vacation probably months before was a week or so before the brother died. And he got, went, was able to go up there and lead him to Christ. And what a beautiful story. And, you know, of course, he misses his brother-in-law, but, but happy he trusted Christ there on his deathbed. And he, he passed away, I think it was a week, a week and a couple days ago, something like that. Two and a half weeks in the hospital, and he was gone. And so uh, we're thrilled that he trusted Christ as Savior. Thank you for your testimony. And uh, those of you that have unsafe family members, be after it. And don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. And it makes a difference. Matthew 7, we're going to look at 21 through 23. Familiar passage, but I want to bring out maybe a little different point on it. This evening, having to do with salvation as well. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray for a moment before we get into this passage. Lord, we're just thankful once again to be in your house. We thank you for salvation. Our souls are thrilled that Bob Miller's brother-in-law trusted Christ as his Savior, especially after all the years of labor Brother Bob put into it. And as we look at this passage about salvation, what it means to us and what it means to a lost world, may you uh, give us some insight into it. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. What a sobering passage. There's a lot of sobering passages in the Bible but for me, this is one of the top, the top most sobering passages. There's a lot of gloom. There's a lot of despair that 
we find out in punishment for wrongdoing and reward, I mean, um, consequences for wrongdoing in the Bible that are sobering. But when we talk about someone's eternal destiny, it is extremely sobering, makes us somber. And to those of us who know that we are children of God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that Jesus has died for our sins, that he was buried and rose again, and we've, uh, in faith, uh, turned to Jesus Christ for salvation and repented of our sins. Those of us that know that, hopefully we don't go around with a boastful and a proud attitude about it, that we have something that everybody else doesn't have, and it somehow makes us better. In reality, we are no better. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. That's the complete opposite of what the gospel is about because there was nothing that we could possibly do to earn it. But I find myself from time to time maybe almost having that attitude to an unsaved world. But it should be a sobering fact that but by the grace of God, that's where we would be. In this passage, Jesus is referring to fakes, he's referring to frauds and phonies and calling out a religious movement and giving us a big perspective on the world. And why would I preach this message on Gospel Baptist Church even on a Sunday night? Why would I do that? You say, well, the majority of people in this room are, are saved. I would say that that's probably true. Only God knows. We know that we can fool each other. We all know Christians who have lived their lives and something turns up. They get a speed bump on the road and we're all surprised and think, man, I thought they had it. But then their actions show that they didn't. One preacher, one preacher said that he thought half his congregation was not saved. <laughs> Whoa. Now, I hope he was referring to maybe Sunday morning crowd. But even still, half of your Sunday morning crowd not saved, whoa, I sure hope he was preaching the gospel a lot. Who knows? Who knows? If Jesus had one out of 12 that went bad, don't we think that there'd be that same thing in our midst? Let's not just assume that everybody has it. Jesus, in this passage, as we review Matthew chapter 7, he starts out and he talks about there's few, few there be that find it. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness, few there be that find it. And then he says, you know, broad is the gate and many are going into destruction. And that right there puts a big limitation as we look at the whole world's population. How many is a few? Pastor Bill posed this question a few weeks ago. How many is a few? I'm not going to really get into that tonight. I looked up before I uh, preached this message, I looked up the statistics of how many Christians are there in the world. Now, when we say how many Christians are there in the world, it's referring to anybody who claims some sort of Christianity. Supposedly, 2.38 billion, something like that, is supposedly everybody who claims to be Christian. Now, that's with a population that is right about, if I'm correct, you know, 8 billion people, right about 8 billion, maybe a little shy of that. And so I would say, okay, that that may be a few, 
you know, let's just even say round it down to 2 billion that are Christians out of 8. Okay, that is somewhat of a few. Then Jesus, in his next verses, his next um, sayings after that, as we move down a few verses, he kind of shrinks the crowd even a little bit more. <laughs> and he doesn't just say, few there be that find it. He says, you know, there's many false teachers that are out there. And he says, you're going to know them by their fruit. So yeah, there's going to be people who are claim to know me. But he shrinks that number down even smaller, saying that we're going to be able to look at their lives and examine whether or not they bear the fruit of a Christian. And a Christian who claims the name of Christ, but their life never, lives never seem to change, it begins to cause us to doubt. There's been a few newer believers that we've had in our midst uh, recently, and there, there's been a few of them that I, that I see they are hungry, and they are thirsting, and they are desiring more. As newborns, babes desire sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. When a baby is hungry, I know this by experience. When a baby is hungry, they are going to let you know. When they want more, they are going to let you know. And a new believer, a new baby Christian, they're the same way. And there's been a few folks recently in the last year or so um, that have come by that I see that new believer, that new growth, where they're crying and they're yearning for milk of the word. And what is that? That's an evidence that when we look at them, we say, wow, this is what a saved person looks like. And then there's individuals who trust, who trust Christ as their savior, but it seems like nothing ever changes. And so Jesus shrinks down that group. A little bit more. And then he goes and he gives this passage here, which he even seems to shrink the group even a little bit smaller, where he says, many are going to come to me in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. But he's going to say, I never knew you. There's going to be so many people that when they get to heaven, they're going to be shocked. I'm sorry, when they stand before Christ in heaven, they are going to be shocked and amazed that they didn't make it. They didn't have a proper understanding of the word of God. I don't believe for one minute that the Holy Spirit is leading anybody on a wild goose chase, trying to have folks uh, catch something that they can never actually get. He wants everybody to obtain salvation. But there's going to be many individuals who are shocked. And the goal of this sermon is not to preach anybody out of heaven. <laughs> Hope you understand what I mean by that. I'm not trying to preach anybody out of heaven. From time to time, you know, evangelists are real good at that. <laughs> they preach them out of heaven, then preach them back in. <laughs> what I mean by that is they, you know, cause, sometimes cause folks to doubt their salvation and, you know, preach a real heavy sermon like this one and get folks to doubt that they don't really have it and they get all nervous and upset and worried and then they come down and solidify it. I'd rather have that happen than you do nothing about it. I'd rather you say, well, I got saved, you know, I, I feel, I think I got saved like seven times. I came down and gave up. Okay, good. I mean, I like that better than not doing anything. 
I think one of them might stick. <laughs> John 5, 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto, written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may know it's possible to know. We go to door, door to door from time to time. We knock on the door and they say, I think so. I say, well, you can know. You can be certain. You can be sure. And if you're here today and this message, as we go through it, it scares you and terrifies you that somehow you think there's a chance that you might not make it. And you might be one of those people that says, Lord, Lord, and that Jesus may say to you, I never knew you. I want to give you encouragement. You can know. You can know. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not something to be taken lightly. Something you must be real serious with God and understand. And again, how do we work out our salvation? How do we do that? If you have any sort of doubt whatsoever, if, you, if, if you're 99% sure, how do you get to 100% sure? This right here, the Word of God. We go back to the Word of God and we examine ourselves through the pages of Scripture and find out what the Bible says about salvation and what it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the, the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I say, well, I have done that. I shall be saved. We battle any doubt with the word of God. It saddens me when there are so many believers that go through their entire Christian life with doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt. Do I really have it? And it's a plot of the devil to try to keep you from doing anything. Because if you're sitting here doubting about yourself the whole time, I don't think your emphasis is going to be winning others and ministering to others and fulfilling all that God has for you. God doesn't want you to doubt. That's not coming from him. That's coming from the devil. And we must go back to the word of God as our foundation, as our source of truth. And when the devil comes by, we crack open the pages of Scripture. Those of you that struggle with this need to take some of these verses about salvation. You need to put them in your car, pin them everywhere, put them on the mirror in your house, because the devil's going to come by and try to convince you that you don't really have it. But we go back to the Word of God, and we say, I believe God. And we gain trust in what the Word of God says. This sermon is not designed to cause you to doubt, although it may cause some. And a goal would be for everybody, by the time we leave this room, to know, to know for sure. But as well, a goal of this sermon is to battle ecumenicalism. That's a term that you probably don't hear that often, but it's an all-inclusive type of Christianity, which is a poison, which is a disease that all these Christian groups, oh, we're all pretty much the same. It really doesn't matter. We have a little bit of differences here or there. And yes, there are a few differences that we can say, ah, we can agree to disagree on that. But when it comes to salvation by grace, through faith alone, through the blood of Christ, there is no wiggle room. And many of our supposed brothers and sisters in Christ are up for a real shock when they meet Jesus face to face. And they profess, Lord, Lord. But he says, I never knew you. So what are some things about this passage? I'll actually give you the idea about how I came up with this sermon. I was reading through a book by Charles Spurgeon, and he 
made a few little interesting statements, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when we get to them. Uh, and then I kind of formulated quite a few others because I liked the way he was going on it. It was a good thought. And so I, I kind of took it from that and formulated the, the rest of the whole thing about it. But we're going to notice some things about these people who claim to be Christians, who claim Lord, Lord, but yet are lost. Number one, they were faithful, but they were faithless. They were faithful, but they were faithless. Let's go back to verse 22. He says, many in that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. What happened? They were religious, but they were 100% lost. They professed Lord, Lord. We'll say it this way. They knew Jesus, but Jesus did not know them. And that sums up a lot of the world. They knew Jesus, but Jesus did not know them. There's people all in our community, they talk about Jesus. I see them. They wear crosses around their neck. They have little medallions, and uh, they have bumper stickers. And we see little stickers, uh, magnets, keep Christ in Christmas, and all those things. And I'm 100% for that. I'm, I'm for propagating Christianity in just about any way um, that's right to do so. And there are folks out there who talk about Jesus, but as soon as I begin them to ask them specific questions concerning salvation, they don't have the right answers. And it's not don't have the right answers according to Chris Barrows. It's don't have the right answers according to the Bible. They knew Jesus, but Jesus did not know them. They had an open profession of faith. And just because it's public, it does not mean it's real. And how many people have I seen make a profession of faith? I've seen them come and stir the waters of the baptismal pool up here. But turns out as time moves on, that anybody at nine out of ten people would say, I don't think they're truly born again. Just because you made a public profession does not mean that you were a child of God. So many people are going to come to Christ in that day and say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, I never knew you. Another thing about him, not only did they profess, but they were busy. They were busy. Look at what they did. They prophesied. They performed exorcism, which is casting out devils, many wonderful works. I mean, they did a lot. And they were being busy doing good things. But just because you're busy doing good things does not give you eternal life. Catholics, we often harp on them a lot because they're notorious for believing in works, a works-based salvation, that they must be good and they must do good and be a good citizen and a, um, of the community in order to have salvation. But even good old Baptists, I found, believe that same thing. Say, no, not in our church. I've heard it. I've confronted it. I've talked, I'm talking about people who sit in these pews, who make statements such as, well, I knew someone, he was, he was, a, good, he was, a, he was a, a good person, and you know, he was faithful to church all those years, and you know, maybe he was a Catholic or something else. You know, oh, he didn't believe exactly like we did, and he was a good dad, and, and he was a good uh, husband, and uh, you know, had a wonderful family and always cared about others in his community and his neighbors and loved on people. And, and 
you're, you're not going to tell me that God's not going to accept him into heaven. People that sit amongst us here. But that's not what gets us to heaven. And why this is important to us is because everybody else, the majority of everybody else outside these walls believes those types of statements. And those are the statements that we are tempted to succumb to and say, well, maybe it is all right. It's not all right. The Bible is specific. It is inclusively exclusive. What I mean by that is it's inclusively that God's not willing any should perish. He wants everybody to be saved, but it's also exclusive because it's only people who have had repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that actually have eternal life. And don't let anybody convince you otherwise. And don't let whatever is getting propagated out there try to dumb down what the Bible says about the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. They professed, Lord, Lord. They were busy. Not only were they faithful in those areas, but they were also successful, which to some degree kind of blows my mind. They were successful. I mean, they didn't just fake it. They didn't necessarily just put on a show and fudge the numbers here or there. They actually had tangible results, casting out devils, many wondrous works. Sometimes I think they probably have more results than we do. But I believe many of them are probably to be false. We think about supposed Christian and preacher, televangelists, uh, and different preachers, megachurch, a lot of megachurches, not every megachurch, but a lot of megachurches, uh, people su such as Benny Hinn. I've been seeing a lot of Kenneth Copeland lately. I have no idea why Kenneth Copeland keeps showing up on my Facebook. I have no idea. I keep pushing see less, see less. I just can't take it. And, and whatever, my phone probably heard me say that, and he's going to pop up again here tonight with something else. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Peter Popoff, you guys probably remember him. I saw a video of him a, a few years ago, and he was supposedly performing you know, miracles and knowing things about people and in the crowd and calling them out and saying, you know, somebody, God's going to bless somebody in here, and they're going to come on down here, and, and, and I believe they live in, they live in Michigan. They're, they're from Michigan. Maybe you've seen that video. And then he goes on to say, you know, the address that they live on, like real specific things and so on and so forth, their middle name or their mother's maiden name. And, you know, so they had some group, had an investigator team go in there and they found out he was wearing an earpiece in his ear and that his wife was in the back reading off information from a questionnaire that got sent out months and months before, before the event. And that's how he was coming up with this information. That man is going to be one of these people. I can say confidently, that man's going to be one of these people that says, Lord, Lord. And God's going to say, I never knew you. He's a fake. He's a phony. He's a fraud. And you look at his congregation and say, wow, they have results Look at the money that they come in. And I love how our minds always go to money, as if that's what truly matters. 
There's some little old Baptist churches, little old churches all around this country who are really doing a work for God and making a difference in their community, and they're dirt poor. We got missionaries out there on the field, and I feel like a bum when I look at all they're doing and what they're accomplishing. But there's going to be many people that are successful at promoting Christianity. They're going to be successful pastors. Let's get a little bit more down to earth. They're going to be successful Sunday school teachers that are cast into hell. There's going to be successful bus captains that God's going to say, I never knew you. There's going to be successful ladies' ministry workers who God's going to say, I never knew you. We're good at putting on a show. We're real good at it. Some of us, we do it every week. We hide things, put them, up, put them underneath, put them under the rug, show up, got our act together. But God's not going to be mocked. Not one bit. Not in any way, shape, or form. And just because you're successful does not mean that you're going to make it. What I also find is interesting is that they were Christ-centered. They were Christ-centered and they didn't make it? It's coming down out there, isn't it? They were Christ-centered. Someone once said, the greatest lie is the lie that is closest to the truth. It says, and in thy name had done many wonderful works. And just because you're propagating the name of Christ does not give you eternal life. Secondly, not only were they, they were faithful, but they were faithless. Secondly, they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Methodists, Catholics, Lutherans, Orthodox, Presbyterian. Oh, wait, let me mention. Independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists are all part of the group of people who may be sincere but can also be sincerely wrong. I think about the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Do I think Cain was sincere in his sacrifice? I'd say yeah. And to an earthly standpoint, me in my mind, I think it makes more sense. But I'm glad it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> it makes more sense because we would think, what would, I mean, what would be the best that Cain could offer to God as a sacrifice. I mean, he toiled with his hands, he farmed. I mean, the best things that, that he helped cultivate and produce was the fruits and the vegetables. And you think, wow, well, that would be a great sacrifice. But the problem was it wasn't done God's way. Cain did it his way and not God's way. Now, Abel, obeying God, did it exactly how God expressed to, and his was counted for righteousness, but Cain's was not. So just because people are sincere, if they do not do things God's way, they're lost. We think about David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. What a mistake. What a mistake. We read through that story, we scan through it and say, oh, he brought the ark back. They put it on a cart. Remember, they were supposed to carry it. The Levites were supposed to carry it. They had a big procession that was supposed to go with it. Nobody was supposed to touch it. 
and David, for some reason, implemented his own way of doing it, and they threw that the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, doing things different. The cart began to wobble and began to fall off, and a man stuck his hand up there to catch the Ark, and he died. We read that, and we're like, oh, okay, he died. That was a, that was a father. I mean, a husband had children, had family. It was a big loss. Say, I can't believe that God, I mean, there's people out there who can't believe that that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. He cares about the details. And he is going to send people to hell over small details. It's important as Bible-believing Christians that we wrap our heads around this truth how it's utterly important for us to propagate the truth in our community. Sincere people die and go to hell. And it's not because God doesn't want them to go to heaven, but it's because they didn't do it God's way. Imagine living your entire life thinking that you were right, believing, maybe, maybe possibly convincing yourself that you were right. I do think as well that the Holy Spirit convicts is is reproving the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And when people err in the wrong direction, I believe the Holy Spirit convicts them. So to some degree, they're not without knowledge. They're not without knowledge. They've to some degree or another rejected the truth that God has revealed to them and chose to do things the other way. Not only were they sincere and sincerely wrong, thirdly, thirdly, well, this actually goes with it. They said, Lord, Lord, but they did not do God's will. Thomas was talking to a man a few months ago who came to the church here a few times, and he was an elderly man. He wanted to be baptized want to be baptized. Sounds great. I mean, we're excited. When somebody comes and they say, usually I got to hunt people down. I got to track them down and, you know, pin them under the water. We don't do that. Usually we have to track them down. Now in this, in this situation, we didn't. This man came forward. I want to be baptized. So Thomas, he's, he went over to the man's house and Mr. Dale went with him and, and you know, oh man, they're excited. Woo! So they sit down and they start just going over the basic idea about what baptism is and come to find out the man believed, he believed that baptism was what saved you, that you had to be baptized in order to be saved. And Thomas and Mr. Dale opened up the Bible and they said, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not what the word of God says. And they tried to reason with him and showed him scriptures over and over again, but the man wouldn't believe. And Thomas, I remember him making this statement. He says, I, I kept asking him, I'm opening the Bible and showing you what the Bible says. Now, where do you get what you believe? That baptism saves you. Can you show me somewhere in the scripture or you know anything why you would have to be baptized to be saved? And he says, no, no, I, I can't show anything, but I just... That's, that's what it is. 
sadly, after 30 minutes, 40 minutes, however long it was of them pleading with this man and trying to reason with the scriptures, Thomas had to say, I'm sorry, but I can't baptize you. And we're not going to do it. And the man said, well, I think I'm just going to go down to the, I don't know, I think it was uh, Church of God. I think that's what it was. I'm just going down to Church of God and they'll do it. They probably will do it. But you know, that man is probably going to be one of those that stands before the Lord. And he says, I never knew you. Why? He didn't do it God's way. He did it his way. They cast out devils, but the devil was not cast out of them. That was the, one of the quotes from Spurgeon, which I liked. That's what I kind of based my other, my other little one-liners off of. They cast out devils, but the devil was not cast out of them. Pretty amazing. Another one that he says, they worked wonders, but also iniquity. When I read through the verses, what I gather is that every Everything seems up to par, up to standard. You know, they say, many say, we prophesied in your name, done many uh, wondrous works, and we've cast out devils and whatnot. And it's not till Jesus goes and he says, ye workers of iniquity, do we find out their problem? They were working wonders, but they also worked iniquity. There's pastors and leaders who are big time, we would say, when we come to find out on the news every so often that, uh-oh, they're doing something that is not Christian, is not right. Something maybe that's been going on five years, ten years. Something that happened a decade, two decades ago, and just now reared its ugly head up, just at the right time. Can Christians do bad things? Yes, Say, well, I, I don't think a Christian could do that stuff and still be saved. Salvation is not of works. It's of grace. If we had a Christian in our midst today, in our group, that committed a murder and adultery, we'd probably throw them out of here. We don't want you to be a part of this. That was David, a man after God's own heart. I think David was saved. We're talking about a perpetual sin, as Pastor mentioned the other day, which I won't get into. And it's not that these individuals could not choose to go to heaven. It was that these individuals would not choose themselves to go to heaven. 2 Peter 3.9, I read it in Sunday school, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And do not for one minute Anybody on the internet, anybody out there, try to message me, talk to me, anybody in the congregation, try to give me that Calvinistic garbage about, oh, it's saying, it's referring to, God's not willing that any of his elect should perish. Oh, come on. You've got to read through about half, 75% of all the scriptures about salvation and insert that little thing in there to be able to come where, to be able to get what they're going on that. Salvation is a free gift for everybody. Nobody's going to be able to point the finger at God on the day of judgment. They fooled everybody, 
but they couldn't fool Jesus. <laughs> they fooled everyone, but they could not fool Jesus. As I mentioned before, hell's going to be filled with pastors, with evangelists, with missionaries, Sunday school teachers, bus captains, and sweet old church ladies. <laughs> yes. They pled their case here before Jesus, but it was without any profit. They pled and they pled, but it did no good. And people are going to kneel, be laying down on their faces before Jesus, pleading, crying. But they're not going to be able to change Jesus' mind because their fate has already been sealed. They persuaded others, but they couldn't persuade the one that mattered most. And lastly, they found out too late. They found out too late. When Jesus said, I never knew you, I never knew you. They preached heaven to people on earth, but they themselves were bound for hell. They had to depart. You know, how, how, no matter how much they cried, they pled, they begged, they weren't changing their destiny. What a sad day that that's going to be. As I'm sure angels are going to grab them and carry them away and throw them into the lake of fire, which is eternal. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction is what the Bible says. There's nothing they can do to change their eternal destiny. People often say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait until later on in my life. I'm going to just get saved towards the end. That's not the way it works. No man is saved unless the Holy Spirit draws him. While the Holy Spirit is drawing you, you better respond. They were strangers, but they thought they were family. I mean, they believed that they were part of the folks who were children of God, but they were not. There's people who live their entire life who claim that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. They've said it a thousand times. They say it at their social clubs and at their gatherings and to their neighbors. And they say, oh, I go to this and this church. And I'm a Christian. And I'm a Christian. And when they stand before Jesus, the truth is going to re be revealed. That they never were. Not that they were and they lost it. They never were. And they must depart. And it's permanent. It is permanent. So what does this have to do with us? As I assume almost all of us here are Christians. This message is necessary to Gospel Baptist Church because our community is deceived. How do I know? I talk to them. If you talk to them, you know. Some of you are great witnesses and great testimonies out on the job and to your neighbors. May God bless you for that. But you know that the world out there is deceived. Few there be that find it. We know it by their works. We know them by their works. And even the ones that have us fooled. Hmm. The liberal, they look at our community and they say, Oh, they have Jesus. Oh, yeah. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, good, that's great. Oh, don't worry about all, don't, don't be nitpicky about it. You have to be nitpicky. 
the souls of people all around us are depending upon the truth that we have. And God has commissioned us as individual believers and as a local assembly of believers to go out and to give the gospel to our community and to our, the entire world and not water it down in any way, shape, or form because people's eternal destinies are depending upon it. What can we do about it? We're going to give them the truth. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's not hide it. Tomorrow we have a wonderful opportunity as we're going to pass out. We have 6,000 gospel tracts just for Benita. Wow. 6,000 gospel tracts just for me. Do I know how far that those are going to go? Do I know if it's going to yield any fruit? I'm not sure. But all I know is the truth is going to be given to hopefully 6,000 people tomorrow so that they don't come and stand before Christ one day and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. We've got a big job ahead of us. I'm thankful for a church who's after it. And if you're not after it, join with us. May we go out and share the love of Christ. So my last verse I'm going to leave with you, Matthew 10, 8. Jesus says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, Freely ye have received, freely give. We've freely received the grace of God. May we freely give it. Let's pray. Lord, we're just humbled by the fact that you've revealed your truth to us and that we've responded to your grace and mercy, and received your Son. In America, it seems as if on a weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis, that the message of the gospel is just deteriorating by a bunch of false teaching that is out there. And it breaks our hearts knowing that the majority of the world is not going to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. But they're going to rather choose iniquity instead of choosing the will of the Father. But we have the truth before us. We've got an obligation. We're debtors to give that truth to others. May you give us opportunity in the days that lie ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.